Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. It is part two of our Egypt special. Last week, we covered the pyramids of Egypt uh, following my two-week excursion out there uh, to do all kinds of uh, research, exploration. I did a lot of filming out there. And uh, many of you, well, those watching it live this evening are part of the Connected Universe portal. And you have access to that full travel blog, 14-day travel blog, where you get all those videos and photos and, uh, you know, my my written description of uh, what happened. And then uh, there's also a, a feature down there in the uh, the special feature section of, uh, of uh, Mohammed Ibrahim and Johnny Enoch, just back and forth on Atlantis. We're going to cover the Atlantis stuff next week. Uh, I do want to say I absolutely... Uh, you know, thank Johnny for getting me involved with the tour, and then uh, with Mohammed, he heads up uh, Mohammed Ibrahim. He heads up, heads up Guide of Egypt, uh, and that's his his tour company. Absolute class act, and I highly recommend the uh, the tours through them. So, of course, this episode of Connecting the Universe is brought to you by well, the Connected Universe Portal. It's also brought to you by I have it over here. <laughs> Haunted Road Roast. It helps you hunt ghosts. I've been saying that a long, long time for Tim. I now have to say it for Johnny. He uh, really picked up on the uh, Haunted Road Roast thing while we were out there in Egypt. He was really missing his coffee is what it came down to. So, all right. And, of course, ConnectedUniversePortal.com, which is where we are running this live. So those listening to the podcast later through Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, all of that, and also the syndicated show on KGRA Radio, if you want to watch this live with the full presentation, the video, all the photos I'm going to be showing this evening and, and video clips, you need to go to ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Got a 30-day free trial out there. You can check it out, and uh, you'll like it. Trust me, there's a lot of great stuff out there. All right. Uh, and, yeah, Nicole Nicole says she would tag Johnny, but he's currently in the wrong time zone. This is true. He's out in Hungary right now, so he's, he stayed out there in kind of that part of the world. Um, and we're seeing some uh, Team Tim here. And, yeah, I'm not seeing all the uh, the names. So I'm going to pop over to the uh, over to Facebook. So that was Victoria. Uh, very cool. So, yeah, there's there's a setting there you guys have to accept or whatever. Um, in any case, let's go ahead and, and get into temples in Egypt. All right. So I have all kinds of, again, photos. I apologize to those listening to the podcast later. You got to come out here and, and watch the live stream. So we're actually going to start at a place that's not really a temple. It's not one of the pyramids either. This is really kind of an in-between place, and you know, people really don't quite know what it was used for. You know, Some people try to chalk it up as a tomb, but it's not really a tomb either. And that is what's known as the Serapium. It's a very, very interesting location. These were caves that were uh, dug out of the bedrock in which... All of these extremely large sarcophagi are sitting. You can, I mean, in this one that I'm showing right here, I'm actually standing. Now, I'm about 5'8", and I had uh, a few inches of, of room there to actually, uh, you know, stand under that. So there's about six feet of clearance there from the ground uh, to that lid that's kind of uh, pushed off to the side there. And uh, from this photo here, that's Johnny pointing to the uh, the text on the side of the uh, the sarcophagus. Now, 
what's very, very interesting about this location is that um, it, it's shrouded in mystery, of course, but nothing was ever found in these extremely large, extremely heavy granite sarcophagi. Now, there is a legend that one of them that was uh, that was blasted into contained the uh, remains of an apis bull. The problem with the story is is that it's kind of just that um, there there's nothing within the uh, sarcophagus that would indicate that there had been remains of an animal in there, and then there are multiple locations around Egypt that, for many many years, claimed that they had the remains of the apis bull that was actually within this sarcophagus. Now there are many of these. Uh, we don't know precisely what they were used for. There's a lot of rumors though. Um, some people believe that they were used, you know, if, if you are adhering to kind of the, the power plant idea of like the pyramids, and this is right down the road from uh, Saqqara and the Step Pyramid. Uh, but some people believe that they may have been batteries. Other believe that they were a regeneration chamber. So if you think of like the movie uh, Stargate, where they used the sarcophagi to bring somebody back to life. Um, that's an idea. Or another idea is that they were used for uh, teleport portation that they were used as as stargates themselves but the word um serapium that they're calling it has its roots in the apis bowl and what i've what i've done to kind of give you an idea of you know kind of how almost mysterious this place is i have the secret teachings of all ages here by manly p hall and so the section here ironically i was just reading this uh earlier today and it's like, oh, great, I'm talking about this this evening. So paragraph that I want to uh, uh, read to you from this. Uh, so he says, The most common theory, however, regarding the origin of the name Serapis, remember we talked about Serapium, uh, of the name Serapis, is that which traces its der derivation from the compound Osiris-Apis. Again, remember that the idea was that these contained Apis bulls. Uh, at one time, the Egyptians believed that the dead were absorbed into the nature of Osiris, the god of the dead. While marked similarity exists between Osiris, Apis, and Serapis, the theory advanced by Egyptologists that Serapis is merely a name given to the dead Apis, or sacred bull of Egypt, is untenable in view of the transcendent wisdom possessed by the Egyptian priestcraft, who in all probability used the god to symbolize the soul of the world. The material body of nature was called Apis, the soul, which escaped from the body at death, was enmeshed with the form during physical life, uh, was designated Serapis. So, even if the word Serapis is correct for this location, it didn't necessarily mean the bull. It had more references actually to the soul. So, it, it's um, you know, really interesting how you see all these... Uh, connections back to soul afterlife these things rather than hey we're, we're sacrificing the, the idea that the mainstream Egyptologists throw out there is that they were sacrificing uh, the apis bulls and putting them in the sarcophagi um, to basically you know bless the land and, and bless you know uh, the crops and, and to maintain a you know a, a well-being uh, and so this was supposed to be the apis that would stay along with them and then um, you know, 
I guess the idea is they would keep one alive for a long, long time. He was the main guy, and then they would bring him in here. That's their theory. Again, there are no there are no remains ever found. Just the legend or rumor of one in which they could never actually prove. Uh, another one more interesting thing about this. Okay, the text on the side of here, uh, and Mohammed likes to point this out that this is the only one with the text. And this is why this is the one you're actually able to get close to. All the others you can't go up to. There, You can look at them, um, but you can't basically climb down in there. This, this one has stairs uh, that you can get down there, and it's the only one that has text on the side. So uh, those, I guess, are more of the uh, you know, lost civilization uh, theories. They say that after the fact... Uh, Egyptians put that onto the side of the sarcophagus, not the ones who actually built it. And it's still like a very, very bizarre thing that, um, you know, just how huge these things are. It is insane. You know, you're talking, you know, hundreds and hundreds of tons that they're having to bring up 500 miles from Aswan. You know, these immense sarcophagi. Makes no sense. Uh, so we have the question here, Apis as in bees, Apis as in bulls. Uh, bull. So, and then uh, when they say sarcophagi, do you mean there were bodies at one time inside? And, and that's kind of what I was trying to clear up. They actually never found any bodies whatsoever inside the sarcophagi. Um which is why people think that the sarcophagi had other means, because it, it makes no sense to bring these immensely huge and heavy boxes up to there to do absolutely nothing with, other than put them in the cave. And it wasn't like easy getting them in there either, um, you know, because you have to like you know you know go down this ramp. I mean, they can physically enter there. Um, the logistics of that are are basically a nightmare. You know, you're talking like boxes that are like 500 tons. And, you know, while you can sit there and say, well, there's enough room to maneuver for people to maneuver it, okay, fine. But if you had, you know, if you designated one person per ton, in, in what person can lift a ton, um, you would need like, you know, hundreds of people in there to, to do that. And um, you're, you're not getting hundreds of people you know, in, in this confined space. So, um, yeah, it's uh, absolutely bizarre, but absolutely amazing. Uh, Tom says, Apis sounds paranormal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the P in there stands for paranormal, right? <laughs> um, and then uh, connection, disconnection to soul seems to be an important concept. Absolutely, absolutely. They were, they were all about the connection to the soul. Um, they, they did believe in... Um, you know, afterlife reincarnation, just not so much in a conventional sense. Um, so do you think that these sarcophagi are used for resonance because it doesn't seem to be useful on a human scale? So that's some of the different um, theories. You know, were they used for, were they used for batteries? You know, do they, ha do they have a resonance? Yes, they do have a resonance. I mean, basically all stone has a resonance, especially uh, granite. Granite absolutely does have a, a resonance. We talked about that uh, last week in the Great Pyramid where the stone box that people uh, call a sarcophagus, uh, that resonates to the key of A. 
so they do have a resonance to them. Um, but, but yeah, where they use as batteries, where they use as regeneration chambers, um, you know, where they used as, you know, portals, teleportation devices. There are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of different theories. Um, all right. Um, and then the question, are there books, are there books of the dead that seem to shed light in this? So for one, books of the dead is a, is a misnomer. We've called them books of the dead because they talk about the afterlife journey and no, they don't specifically talk about the Serapium or, uh, you know, or these particular, uh, sarcophagi. So that is the Serapium. Um, we're going to move on from that just because we have a lot to cover and we've already gone through 15 minutes on the Serapium, which is not really a temple. Um, so we're going to get to temples here. So one of my favorite places to visit uh, was Elephantine Island. And this is not actually a very good photo of the temple, which is on the right-hand side of this this particular photo. And I need to get that message off of there. Okay. Uh, but you see that on the right-hand side. I, I did this photo because you can see how the place is pretty much uh, in ruins. But I wanted to show you that up the hill there, those two uh pillars they're actually like the the outline of a doorway and we're going to get to that that's the stargate this this place here elephantine island has so much going on with it uh i am going to release a uh a short youtube video on it which is going to kind of tease for uh for people to check out the travel blog uh so step one going through into this temple uh, you come across this image here. And what do you guys think it looks like with that, that headdress on that uh, figure on the right? It looks familiar, doesn't it? But it's not Egyptian. What it actually resembles and what many people believe it is, is a Mayan headdress. And here's a couple of depictions here of Mayan headdresses. Uh, and you can see how it looks very, very similar to what's going on in this image here. And we have seen Egyptian influences all over the world. Um, of course, there are connections between the pyramids, the Egyptian pyramids, the Mayan pyramids, pyramids all over the world. And then we see within some different customs and cultures, uh, you know, there being, you know, connections between Egyptians and Mayans, uh, Egyptians and North American tribes, Egyptians and Australians. They are now finding uh, hieroglyphs in Australia that are similar and resemble uh, Australian glyphs. And we'll, we might dive into that next week. We're not going to get into that this week. Uh, but that's, okay, just one of these things that's here on Elephantine Island. Now, kind of the the big big story with Elephantine Island that had that drew my interest long before uh, going there, before I went to Egypt, was the story of the the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, if you if you adhere to the story of the Ark of the Covenant making its way down to Ethiopia, where they in Axum believe they have the Ark of the Covenant, um, then part of that story is that it stayed for a time on Elephantine Island for something like 400 years before it got moved again downriver, down the Nile. So that's one part of the story, if you believe it went to Ethiopia. 
there's another part of the story that, and there are people that believe this, that to this day, the Ark of the Covenant is actually still there on Elephantine Island, hidden, that it actually never moved from there and went down to Ethiopia. And there are a number of those people that believe that idea, which say, well, you know, something to keep in mind is that there was likely more than one Ark of the Covenant, that there were many of them, and that there is one that happened to stay there on Elephantine Island. And I know that's kind of, you know, for some people, like, what do you mean, more than one Ark of the Covenant? Um and people say that, well, it was a it was a technology, not just a box made of gold to put the Ten Commandments in. Now, the ancient Hebrews actually did get the idea of building the Ark of the Covenant from the Egyptians. Uh, their idea of the Holy of the Holies they got from the Egyptians. Every single one of these temples that we went into, there was a Holy of the Holies. And in one of them, um, and it was, oh, which one was it? Was it Abydos? Uh, no, it was Edfu. It was Edfu, where we actually uh, got to see an Egyptian Ark of the Covenant. Uh, you couldn't go up there and touch it. They had it, you know, cordoned off. You could, you could take a photo. Um, there was a photo of me in, in front of that. We'll, we're going to get to Edfu next week. Um, and it is an Ark of the Covenant, uh, not the Ark of the Covenant. So there's a little... I guess, gray area here. Well, there's a lot of gray area. For one, you'd have to believe that the Ark of the Covenant made its way uh, into Egypt, you know, to travel down the Nile. For two, you'd have to believe, you know, which one do you believe? Do you believe it was um, an Ark of the Covenant, a type of technology that they had built many devices of, or do you believe it was, you know, a, a box that held the Ten Commandments and it was one singular device? Um, so there's a lot of different beliefs about this whole thing. All of that said... If the Ark of the Covenant did spend time on Elephantine Island, then this is the place it would have been. So this is under that temple that we saw uh, with the guy with the with the Mayan headdress. We could not actually walk into there. I, I took this photo through uh, a set of bars. Uh, you know, Muhammad tried to get a special access into it. They they weren't having it that particular day or maybe they wanted too much because a lot of times to get special access into these places you just you fork over money until they say okay fine you can go in so um maybe they wanted too much that day i don't know um but we weren't allowed in there but if if there was a spot that it was housed it was in here uh somewhere so this is this is basically the temple under the temple and you see that a lot in ancient cultures temples built on top of temples and we're going to see some more of that here in just a little bit. So this was absolutely fascinating to me that if the Ark of the Covenant uh, was on Elephantine Island, here it is, and I'm looking at it, and to me, it's like total Indiana Jones moment. You know, I've always, you know, when I was a little kid, uh, I remember, you know, reading through, uh, you know, the Old Testament, trying to figure out just from the Old Testament text, okay, what do they say about the Ark of the Covenant? Where did it end up, you know? because of that big shroud of mystery, you know, what happened to it. And of course, it just disappears out of the text. Um, so in, in, I've never been to a location before in which at one point housed this thing. So to be at a place that may have actually housed the Ark of the Covenant was just like, whoa, you know, I loved it. Uh, that, that was absolutely amazing to me.
Um, all right. Um, just taking a look through. Okay, Tom asking, was this from the same time as the Great Pyramid? So, um, this was a this was a different point in time than the Great Pyramid. It also depends on um, you know wh- what time you're. <laughs> what time you believe the Great Pyramid was built. So, um, and, and I'm not sure, uh, are you referencing the Serapium like we were talking about before? Because looking at your timestamp on here, it was uh, some minutes ago, or if it's about Elephantine Island. Um, but in either case, with the Serapium, that would have been more around the time of the building of the Step Pyramid, because that's kind of right down the road. Again, very, very difficult to date, because you're talking about stone uh, and you can't carbon date stone so you have to take other uh other things in the area into to context uh and so that would have been uh you know supposedly before the great pyramid the step pyramid was supposed to be before the great pyramid but the great pyramid itself uh as we discussed last week uh, is certainly older than you know what mainstream uh like say mainstream says you know 25 uh, you know, what was it, 2,000 or 2,500 years ago by a king that was 25 years old, which would never have been built in his lifetime. But I showed the, uh, the ostrich egg that has the, uh, it has the pyramids right on there. And that, that egg was 4,500 years old. So it's at least that old. And it's something they, they had seen. So they were already built at that time. So, uh, uh, something like Elephantine Island. Um, if the Great Pyramid is 4,500 years old, Elephantine Island is newer uh, than the Great Pyramid. So I hope that answers that. Um, and then, uh, Tom, was it true that you cannot open the Ark and look at the contents or you'll dive? So uh, basically, if you touch the Ark... Um, and you know that's one of the that's one of the stories right there in the Bible that um, you know you touch the ark, you die because you're not allowed to touch it. So they they had the rods that that fit in there, um, so they or the the pole so they could lift it. But if you actually touched it, then uh, you're supposed to die. So all right, so that's we're still not done with Elephantine Island. That's cool thing number two about it. Number three is I kind of talked about it before, was the Stargate. I said up the hill there, you can see uh, those columns. Here you can see them a little bit closer. Um, and that there was supposed to be uh, a Stargate. And back behind it was another part of the temple that was completely blown down. Um, you know, People believe that there was some sort of explosion that happened through the Stargate that knocked everything down. And I'm going to let Johnny Enoch tell you a little bit about this. We're standing in Elephantine Island here in Egypt on the Nile around Aswan. And behind me is an alleged stargate. Now, this was first pointed out to me by Brian Forrester, who said, don't you think it's interesting, Johnny, that here's a gate that was on some kind of energy grid where we have this whole island made of rose granite that's resonating with this kind of energy. And it's almost as if during the cataclysm, something was triggered on this grid or 
this area where the core just sort of exploded and the whole place just was decimated. Just take a look at this. When you look up at this thing, it's been pieced together, but something came through here that was so powerful that it blew the whole place to pieces. And I mean, we see all kinds of magnificent structures made of granite over there. Now, again, why is that significant? Well, rose granite and granite are contained with silica, which is where we get silicon microchips from, which are a great insulator and conductor of electromagnetic energy. And of course, when we see why that's important to this place, it was literally loaded with energy. Lastly, one of the kings who was obsessed with stargates and actually had it in front of his names was Thutmose III. And of course, we see his temple and his fingerprint right next to this site. And we know who's fascinated by Elephantine Island. Check it out. Yeah, so literally there's a block, and I don't know if you can see it, but one of these blocks here on the on the right-hand side actually has the, the cartouche of, of Tutmos III. Uh, and we actually got to see, uh, we got to see Tutmos III, his actual mummy, at the uh, Civilization Museum. We can't take photos uh, down in there, unfortunately, uh, of the mummy, uh, but he is uh, one of the, the the kings that has an elongated skull. So there are a lot of ideas about you know where Tutmosis the Third may actually be from. So uh, that was Johnny. Thank you, Johnny, uh, you know, describing the Stargate there in Elephantine Island when he was talking about um, that temple getting blown down. Let me show you some of the wreckage. So this granite uh i don't even know what you want to call it it's like a it's like a shrine but it's huge it's massive it's hundreds and hundreds of tons and uh i mentioned last night on edge of the rabbit hole when victoria was asking me uh questions about uh you know, about the top of the great pyramid maybe it was uh oh i think it was adam tillery that asked the question about it but um this is if you look at the very tip of uh, that shrine, you see that there's like a, uh, a a little pyramid on top there. Maybe it's like a bin bin stone, but the top of it does not come to a point. It's straight. And so uh, Mohammed likes to use this as an example of perhaps the Great Pyramid never did have a tip to it. Perhaps this was the design of it. Maybe it had a flat top to it rather than a tip. A lot of people believe that it had a uh, a gold cap to it, but it's just pure speculation. There's there's nothing within any of the texts that tell us that it had a a gold cap. What we do know for sure is that it had the limestone uh, casing stones, uh, because some of those still exist. Uh, you know, at at the at the base of the uh, of the pyramid, you see them more on the uh, on the second pyramid than you do on the Great Pyramid. Uh, there was a question in here about the Great Pyramid. Yeah. Uh, was was there the same water degradation as this site as there was at the Great Pyramid? I, it's we're talking 500 miles away, so no, it's it's very different. We're much further down, I should say, much further upstream on the Nile than we are uh, with the Great Pyramid. Uh, and, and keep in mind that the Nile runs kind of backwards. When we talk upstream, we're actually talking about going south. <laughs> so we're 500 miles to the south, 500 miles upstream. It's the same thing with calling uh, Lower Egypt and Upper Egypt. Uh, Lower Egypt is actually 
uh, in the north and upper Egypt is actually in the south. But it, it all has to do with the flow of the Nile. So, um, so that's Elephantine Island. Absolutely amazing place. Uh, I loved it. So uh, we're going to move on to a smaller temple that a lot of people probably don't know about, have not heard about, but it's very, very interesting. And that is Esna Temple. This one was kind of out of the way. Um, we actually had to walk down uh, a couple of uh, city streets, some rinky-dink city streets, some, some back alleys to get to this place. Um, and it doesn't look like a whole lot from outside, but inside, they're doing a lot of restorative work. Um, there were, uh, you know, fires inside that created a lot of soot on the ceiling. And as they're cleaning it off, um, they're revealing all of this colors. So you can see these browns and reds and blues and just all kinds of amazing colors that they're cleaning off. Uh, and I, I mentioned this, I believe, last night on the edge of the rabbit hole where, um, you know, some of the, uh, the texts that you're seeing here, you're actually seeing what you're looking at here are the phases of the moon. So, you know, all these figures are standing on top of the moon and you can see the different phases and you can see the, the eye of Ra creep into some of the different uh, phases and what have you. Also, if you look closely at the depictions that are on here, you can see sphinxes on here. There's one really interesting off to uh, the left and it's probably hard to see, but uh, on his tail, as his, his tail extends out, it actually turns into a crocodile. So that's you know, very, very different. But um, yeah, these are all line based uh, well, the sphinxes are line-based. They just have different heads. But many of these actually do have uh, line-type heads or they have human heads. Uh, so, uh, you know, if people were... If somebody had asked yesterday uh, about, um, you know, were there sphinxes in the text? Were there references to the sphinx uh, in the in the text that they have on, on the temples and what have you? You can see some of those representations here. Uh, if you just... You kind of have to look closely. And there's a lot here that, that's on that ceiling. And, th that's, and that's what you're looking at is the ceiling. So imagine being the guy that had to go up there and uh, put all that in. <laughs> it's amazing, amazing stuff. Um, also what's there on one of these walls, and here I have, Johnny's pointing it out. Uh, he, he likes pointing it. Anything that has to do with stargates or levitation or uh, you know, portals or anything like that or Atlantis, Johnny's right on top of it pointing it out. And so what he's pointing out here, um, you know, is the temple being levitated. And they have these different rods that they're using to do it with. Um, I have a little video clip here of me kind of describing uh, the scene a little bit. So I'm going to play this real quick. Here at Esna Temple, this place is absolutely amazing. Just the, you know, beauty of the, the colors and the details in the, the glyphs and the artwork. Um, you know, they're in the middle of restoring this place. You see all the, uh, the construction work going on, but doing an absolutely amazing job. Uh, apparently there used to be a bunch of soot on the ceiling. They're cleaning that off and finding these amazing colors up there. So it's absolutely fantastic. We have different things like stargates here. Um, there's some other implements over there of jars of the substance that was supposed to be magical things. So, uh... all right. So, uh, 
Tom has a comment here, and I do want to address this uh, real quick because it is it is a uh, a good point. Um, I'm still shocked that you can see current buildings in the background. I thought these artifacts were deep into the desert. There are some that are deeper into the desert, um, like Abu Simbel, which we did not go to because it was going to be 130 degrees, and it's like three hours to get there just driving, and then you have another 45-minute walk uh, to go there after. That's deep into the desert. But a lot of them are not, like the, the pyramids, basically the you know, the city has encroached right on top of it. You know, you see all these wonderful photos of it, and that's because back behind it is is desert. But but basically, the city of Giza is sitting right on top of the pyramids. Um, Elephantine Island is, is right there uh, in the middle of the Nile, and you have the city, um, you know, right there on the shore. You can hear, at, at the end of that clip with Johnny, you can hear sirens in the background because you can hear the city right over there. Um, Luxor uh, and Karnak are right there uh, in the city. This uh, Esna Temple is right there uh, in the city. So, you know, there are a lot of them that just, they got they got built around. So uh, let me turn that off. Um, and as this question here, uh, some form of calendar when you go back here, I mean, yeah, you're looking at the moon cycles is exactly what you're looking at there. So... Um, and then one thing I wanted to note here again with Johnny pointing out uh, the, ele the elevation or the levitation of the temple in this portrayal, um, the rods that they use, you'll, uh, when you look at a lot of these uh, friezes, you'll notice them using a lot of different rods uh, for, for doing different ceremonies, different magical things, whether it's levitation. Um, the crazy thing is that none of these rods have ever been found. You, you cannot go to a museum and find any of the rods that they are depicting uh, on any of this artwork. And so what did they use? Um, and we believe that they do they did use these items because it's so prevalent in their artwork. So there's there's the idea that when the rods were found, they're now in the hands of private collectors that we're not going to see these as the public because these are very, very powerful items. If they're able to do levitation, open stargates and portals, things like that, they're not going to put those items into the public hands. All right. So moving on to Luxor. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here on Luxor. Um yeah, there. You know, what we kind of concentrated on here while we were while we were here was the um, uh, you know the craftsmanship of a lot of the different statues, uh, the machining that was done on them. Uh, we could do an entire series on machined items. Um, you know, we're going to touch a little bit on that next week uh, when when we do uh, part three. But what was interesting about Luxor and you know I didn't realize this going in now when I talk about the uh like the the ancient sites of power and we talk about you know them building temples on top of these locations or like the stone circles and you know, all these different things like that a lot of times I will point out that um you know the more more modern type people that built temples or churches or whatever would built would build on top of already pre-existing structures because they knew that those ancients 
already knew where the uh, where the good energy was, where those uh, you know the telluric currents running through the earth, and where you know they could pick up on that energy for uh, for healing, entering altered states of consciousness, perhaps you know creating portals and things like that. The ancients knew where those things were. So if you came across you know an ancient site of power, you just build your temple there, and then you know more modern people to build the churches or cathedrals on top of those ancient temples. So you always see that sort of thing. Same thing here. Um, this is in Luxor. So that's um, just before you get to this image here. Um, what you're looking at at the very bottom is a Coptic church. So the Coptics came in, they built a church inside of Luxor. Well, on top of that is a mosque. So right inside the Temple of Luxor is a mosque. And we happened to get there right at noon as they did a call to prayer. And so the first 15, 20 minutes of my video footage from Luxor is shot because we're getting blasted with the Muslim call to prayer. Um, they That's one thing that you'll notice when, when you're in Egypt is, you know, all these little, not little, they're tall, all these tall towers all over the place. And that's basically because they have these large speakers and megaphones hooked up to them so that you know, five times a day they can blast the call to prayer. And if you are close enough, when we were on when we were on the Nile River, basically we stayed overnight for a week on this boat. And sometimes we would be parked near a mosque and at 3 a.m. you'd get woken up to that call of prayer. And one is right there in the Temple of Luxor. So I was not aware of that until we were there and getting hit with it. <laughs> so uh, definitely interesting. Um, and uh, the call of prayer has its own form of energy. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's different than the ancient energy that's there. But yeah, it definitely has its own uh, energy for sure. Um, so do they imply walking in a certain direction to indicate to particular location? Uh, could you clarify that? A little bit, oh, um, or maybe it's a back reference to this. Are the directional hieroglyphs pretty symmetric in most temples? Um, you know, it, they're omnidirectional. Uh, I mean, usually if you take a look at one wall, most things on one wall will be pointing in the same direction, but that's not 100%. Sometimes they will switch it up. Basically what you do is you look at the direction that the animals are, are facing. Just look at that direction. You can tell which direction the text is going. All right. So let's move on to Karnak. Um, massive, massive temple site. Absolutely huge. And we didn't go straight down that avenue at first. We spent a lot of time over in the uh, open air, what they call the open air museum part, because uh, Mohammed wanted to, to show us a number of different um, things that are kind of off the beaten path, but were very re relevant to our, our research there. Um, something to note here is that this is a this is basically um, a temple of Aries. So you see all of these sphinxes here uh, with the heads of a ram. So you know another interesting mix here that we see uh, with the lion mixed with the ram, um, and those are those are all over the place. Uh, even Luxor has an avenue of uh, of ram sphinxes because. Uh, Luxor and Karnak were once connected. It was all one massive site at one point. It's kind of been cut in half. 
Um, well, maybe a third to two thirds, <laughs> and two thirds being Karnak, because that one's definitely the bigger one. Um, what's uh, one thing that you can you see it in that photo? No, you can't see it in that photo. But this one has uh, a couple of obelisks, and what's really sad is that most of the obelisks have been removed from Egypt. They're, they still have a couple, but um, they've basically been grabbed and moved all over the world. Like they're in New York, Paris, London, Rome. Um, you know, they're, they're all over, and there are more obelisks now outside of Egypt than there are inside of Egypt, uh, which is very sad. And you know, Egypt's been working to try to get you know some of their uh, some of their things back. But that's like pulling teeth because uh, these countries have had these uh, these things for a long, long time. What's interesting about this, and I asked uh, Muhammad this question because we were at the Aswan Quarry the, the same day that we were at Elephantine Island. Uh, we spent, uh, after Elephantine Island, we went to the Aswan Quarry that has the unfinished obelisk where you can actually see an obelisk that was abandoned during construction. But... Uh, as you're walking onto the site, you see this, where you can see where an obelisk has been taken before. You see against that far wall the the square that's there, and then on the uh, on the left hand side, it's you know very sheer. So basically, an obelisk was carved from here and removed and taken. So you know, I asked Mohammed, you know, is it possible that the uh, the obelisk that was uh, carved out from here, is it possible it ended up at Karnak? And he said, you know, actually, the dimensions of the obelisk that was removed from here matches up very, very well to the tall obelisk here that is right now at uh, at Karnak. So, um, that, so that was a nice piece of... Um, of symmetry where it's like okay we can see where it came from and then where it ended up how they got it there is the mystery um you know down the nile yes but how in the world did they lift this massive hundred again hundreds of tons from the quarry onto the boat and then how do they get it from the boat into the temple um Nobody knows. I mean, people you know speculate and they have crazy ideas, or and it just none of it seems to to work out. But um, another thing at Karnak that was very very cool was the statue of Sekhmet. So this this was one that was special access that we were able to get into, and um, it's this photo really doesn't do it justice. Uh, it is, it's dark back there, and there is a single overhead light. Like, they, they carved a hole into the top of the temple so that it would shine light on this a specific way. And it's actually very creepy and eerie. Um, and if you stare at it long enough, um, the eyes will start to glow on you. Uh, very, very fascinating, the way that they constructed this little shrine to Sekhmet, because uh, it, it does kind of like start to creep you out a little bit. <laughs> All right. Um, so we're going to move on to, to Abydos. And I'm going to, these next couple, I'm probably going to try, I'm probably going to blow through here a little bit, because uh, we only have 15 minutes left in the show. Um, 
but they were important. These are important sites. So this is this is Abydos, and we're also going to do uh, Dendara, and there, we both did both of these on the same day. So Abydos is the location that has as you right as you go inside that that front door, right to the uh, right to the right. You look up, and you guys see it up there. Not on the columns, on the um, basically the beam across the top of those columns. This is the famous, these are the famous glyphs with the supposed helicopter and tank and spaceship, or maybe it's a submarine or, you know, a lot of different ideas as to what these things are. And, you know, the mainstream has said, well, this is, this is erosion. Erosion is what has happened here. And, you know, obviously it's not you you can see that these are you know carved in there you know very nicely you can see the you know the you know the watermarks and in all of that on on the stone here so there are others that have said okay these are you know the glyphs that we're looking at here are not they're they're not pure in the sense that what's been done here are um, you have glyphs on top of, of glyphs that there was um, a reworking at some point by by the by the Egyptians, um, you know, to kind of recreate the text, but with different text, and you can see it better here. And the people don't do this. Look at the backside. So if there was erosion, right, we would see the same sort of thing on the backside too. And what you see on the back side, you can see you can see here much better the glyphs on top of the glyphs. So, like for instance, take a look at the owl. If you look at the owl, you can see these other lines here of glyphs that are on top of the owl. Very plain to see. Um, you have the uh, the rectangle there. That's a P. Um, you know the uh, to the uh, to the left of that you see the uh the m that basically uh the same m from uh ramsey's name from his cartouche but you see these other lines that are uh that are kind of interfering there uh from these other glyphs so like what in the world was going on here now the actual damage from time you can see that too like if you go back and you look at the owl the upper right you can see that part of it is missing up there, but the underside is rough. Um, if you look all the way over on the right, um, you can see that there was, you know, some sort of glyph that was removed, uh, and that's the rough spot. But there's that uh, rectangle that's going right through the middle of it, so you can tell very clearly, you know, what's actual damage or something that's been removed you can tell what glyph is on top of the other here this is again this is on the back side so okay fine we have glyphs on top of glyphs and there is some damage but we can tell exactly what those glyphs are there's no question about what they are when we go back to this you can you know the the damage is on the right it does not touch these three glyphs and if they are glyphs on top of glyphs like on the other side, and you see some of that here within these others, 
that are included here, but you can tell what they are. But these three glyphs, you're looking at them like, what in the world are they? Because, I mean, to us, okay, they look like it, it, our, you know, our context is modern-day machinery. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily looking at a helicopter or a tank or whatever. It's something that they're looking at and putting up there that we don't know for sure what it is. It's very different. It does look technological to our eye. We're just not sure what exactly it is. It's not erosion, though. You know, that's the excuse by the mainstream, this whole erosion idea. It's not. And that's how they've kind of passed that off. And it's not the glyphs on top of the glyphs because we can't tell what it is. Like when we look at this one, we can very easily tell what those are. But this, yeah, that's, uh, you know, jury's still out on that one. You, and you, again, you can even tell in this one the ones that are glyphs on top of glyphs. Like you can see, and I don't have a pointer here. It'd be nice if I had a, if I had a pointer. Um, you can see the, you know, the hand that's giving that there is, for whatever reason, now there's a cup on top of it where the hand should be. Um, but these others, yeah, that's definitely not obvious at all. With, if those were, were something else, but they're not. They're, whatever it was that they were looking at, that's what they put up there. All right. So that's my dissertation on that. Another cool thing about Abydos is they have the the most complete King's List, but it's still incomplete. Um, and I can't even get it into the uh, into the photo here. So whenever somebody says that you know we know who all the kings are, no, we don't. Um, you know, or whenever they try to put the timeline together and you know use this array of kings, well, it still may be incomplete. Like Akhenaten's not on here, uh, Tutankhamun's not on here. Um, you know, there there are a number of kings that are not within this list. That is the most complete list. <laughs> so, um, so that basically it it leaves the door open for there are still secrets and mysteries to find and uncover. And even the very first king that's on this list is. You're not the first king of Egypt. It's the first one that, that they could remember and know about. I mean, they did a good job, you know, of keeping track of, of their records, but it only goes back so far. And, you know, it, of course, continues to go back further because, you know, civilization didn't just suddenly begin and they started writing everything down immediately. There was a history before that, too. All right. Um, let's see if you have any quick questions here. Um, if they are true glyphs, you'd think that you'd see them repeated in other areas. Now, there are, and we're, we're going to, well, I did show it um, when we did the temples, or not the temples, the uh, the pyramids. There's that, that one that looks like a flying saucer that's in that uh, tomb near Saqqara, and then one next to it that, that looks like a flail. Um, we don't We don't see those elsewhere, so what were they actually depicting? So there are glyphs that we don't we don't see elsewhere we don't know for sure what they are and all we can think of is that well they had to be depicting something that they saw with their own eyes because that's how they that's how they communicated with their written word was through objects that they saw 
Now, that's what all of these glyphs are. So a lot of them, we look at them like, what in the world is it that that photo is? And it might be like something like a hill. Um, you know, or people look at the, uh, the glyph, the hieroglyph for a scribe, and what they see in the rectangle part of it, because it's a rectangle, two circles, um, and then it's connected to all of this other weird stuff. But when they look at the, the rectangle with the two circles, they're like, it looks like a traffic light. It's not a traffic light. It's basically, it's, a, um, it's the scribe's uh, palette. And the, uh, the two circles are actually for the, the two different inks, the red and the black. So, you know, we look at it and we start thinking stoplight, but it's actually something completely different. All right, then there's the last one we're going to do for tonight. That's uh, Dindara. And we did this on the same day as, as Abydos. Again, another magnificent, magnificent uh, temple. So this is a temple of Hathor. And what's, what's interesting about Hathor is that she is one of the very, very few uh, gods or netters that were depicted straight on. Most of them you see from the side. And, um, or if they do like a full statue, uh, like, like outside the temple or whatever, then you'll see like, uh, like the animal, like for, for Horus, you'd see, um, or, or Cyrus, you'd see a, a falcon, uh, you know, like the whole animal depicted. But with Hator, um, you see the whole, the whole face, which is very, very different. Problem here with Dindara is that every depiction of Hator is defaced, um, you know, and that was an unfortunate thing that that happened, and that was really disheartening to see in a lot of, of the of the temples, where they would go through and they would they would deface the the uh, you know the sculptures like this, or they would deface the uh, the friezes where you know all the uh, you know all the characters. Were basically chiseled out and all you had left were, were the hieroglyphs you saw that a ton and you know the idea was that well if you you know deface uh you know the person on there then that takes away the power and you know, what it reminded me of and yes i'm going to preach a little bit here what it reminded me of was what we're seeing today with all these removals and defacings and all this of our of statues and sculptures all around the country um you know archaeologists right now when they look back at these ancient temples they're like pulling their hair out and screaming like oh my gosh why did you guys deface all of these why'd you remove them why'd you tear them down you know the you know we only know about Akhenaten because they you know they found you know shards used as filler for you know other you know temples and, and things like that when they were trying to do repairs like what's this and they they find uh the record of Akhenaten they're like oh my gosh why did you guys do this stuff um it makes it very very difficult to actually put history together um because they destroyed a lot of their history you know that's why it's like you know there are there are kings and other people out there that we don't know about because they destroyed it and removed it from their history it makes it very very difficult for us to piece all of that together that's why that's why we're fighting right now about all of you know what in the world happened for five six ten thousand years ago because they destroyed it and what are we doing now we're destroying our stuff 
now. You know, it's it's the history repeating itself again thousands of years later. So people long, you know, you know, far out into the future are going to look back on us and they're going to be pulling their hair out over us because we're destroying, you know, our history right now too. Humans are stupid. Absolutely freaking stupid. In any case, off of that little soapbox, um, again, an amazing temple, beautiful, beautiful colors. So this is looking up at the ceiling, which is a depiction of the night sky. You see all that wonderful blue, and you see all of those stars. And then you see all of these different uh, characters that are up there. And this one, this one here is just fun. Because uh, one of those characters, you see him right in the middle there, uh, standing next to that snake. And a lot of these are different gods and netters and, and things like that. There's a genie right in the middle there. <laughs> so that is an ancient Egyptian genie. So that's, you know, when we talk about like legends of the jinn and, and things like that. So there you see some of that that influence right there. There's the genie. Of course, the big thing about uh, Dindara is the supposed light bulb. Um, and, and people, a lot of people have seen uh, this photo. It's not a light bulb. And by the way, there's actually three of these in there. And the wall behind um, where this photo is taken, because uh, it's just a tight little passage. It's actually very difficult to get this photo. I couldn't do it on my phone. Uh, Adham, uh, uh, Muhammad's son, took this on his phone. He could get a widescreen shot of it, and I couldn't with my phone. But So basically behind him, where he's taking the photo from, is another one of these. There's three of them. Um, so... But what's going on here, so the snake represents energy. And then uh, these, are, these are not plugs. At, at the end of the snake tail is a, is a lotus flower. The lotus uh, is very, very important in ancient Egyptian culture. It represented enlightenment. So this isn't a bulb that is surrounding uh, the snakes. It's actually energy. Uh, the energy of the snake, which you know could be electric energy for sure, because you know you had all this granite and everything uh, all over the place, uh, connected to enlightenment. So that's the idea here. Uh, so yeah, I'll get to that question here in just a moment. Um, the other, uh, the other thing about this, so. The light bulb is down in what they call a crypt. It's not really a crypt where they kept bodies or whatever. Basically, it's a it's a passage underneath the temple. There are a couple of crypts there. And there was one that was opened up to us. And it's very narrow and actually got very stuffy down there very quick with, you know, just even with our small group. Um, there was another crypt that was just opened up, had been closed off for 20 years. And we got access to it. We were actually the first group allowed in there in 20 years. Of course, other people had been down there and they were doing different things. Um, just not, you know, like tour groups or whatever. Um, so here I am standing in that newly opened crypt. And hard to see in this photo here. But if you look directly to the right of me against the wall, you see like, okay, there's you know, part of the wall is missing. And 
this is something that I had a big, big issue with. And that was a real eye opener and was just like, my gosh, this stuff is still going on. So I'm going to play a quick video. Those listening to the podcast later are not going to hear a whole lot in this clip. But this is basically walking through the passage. Pay attention to the walls. You're going to notice a lot of things missing. This is like Tomb Raider. You feel like you're in Indiana Jones? Yeah, Indiana Jones. There you go. I had to watch Laura Croft. I was too old for that. <laughs> oh, not much here. Not much here. Pay attention to the walls. So I'm walking through there. You notice on the sides, huge, huge chunks are missing. They are just gone. And you can see the chisel marks where, you know, those those pieces of art, those friezes, those uh, carvings were completely removed. And it was recent. And I'm going to show you a photo here. Now, this is as when you're first walking down there into that crypt. The, the long hall that you just saw me walking down there is to the left. To the right is just this short little kind of dead ends. There, there's not much here. And I took this photo in, in Adham, Muhammad's son, was like, um, there's nothing down there. I, I, I've had an inkling to walk down there, and I should have. I would have had to crawl into it. Um, but you can see, see all those white marks there uh, on the wall? Those are chisel marks. And you can see where chunks of stone have been removed. So there were there was artwork down there. There were depictions that were down there. And so I mentioned something to Muhammad. He was a re little reluctant to say precisely what was going on. But he knew what I was getting at. That, hey, you know, what happened down there? What, you know, what, did, what have they been doing down there for the last 20 years? Because it looks like to me... A lot of this stuff has been removed. Those chisel marks that are down there look fresh. They look new, that this is something that happened recently. And he was just kind of like, yeah, it's a shame. You're not wrong. And that's about as far as he went. So I talked with Johnny about it, and Johnny's like, yeah, um, you know, pretty much a lot of that stuff would have ended up in the hands of private collectors. You know, what they're looking for are you know anything any depictions that have to do with immortality they want the secrets to immortality and so over the last 20 years people would have gone down there they would have picked out the pieces that they wanted there would have been some sort of bidding war between these you know people with with the money these private collectors and they would have taken the pieces that they wanted left the rest for us to be like okay this is something that's new yay and think that would appease us. Um, it's very sad and unfortunate that a site like that, uh, you know, would in modern times still get defaced. But, but there it is. Let me get to the uh, the rest of your questions here. So, uh, so Dina, could the ships and planes, etc., have been seen prophetically in a vision, then recorded, or do you think they saw them there physically in front of them? So, kind of a mix. So, some of the things you know, they were depicting actual events that happened um, when they would do things like depicting the journey into the afterlife. 
a lot of that would have been metaphorical. Like when they talk about, you know, the afterlife and the journey to uh, to the constellation Orion, I mean, they depict that with a boat, um, you know, kind of like the whole thing crossing the river sticks. I mean, we see that in so many different cultures, you know, getting on the boat and going into the afterlife. Um, you know, of course, there's no physical boat, at least in their depiction of them going to the afterlife. Now, if you want to get into like aliens and we're going off in a spaceship or whatever, fine. It still wouldn't have been the type of boat that they were depicting. You see the same thing in a lot of... Um, in a lot of the creation stories, this this use of boats and traveling across the waters. We're going to see some more of that uh, next week. And we're going to start off with uh, with Edfu. So we're going to kind of finish up on, on temples next week and then get into some other things. We're going to start with Edfu because um, Edfu has the scant remains that that we've at least found to date of the Atlantis story, which we know came out of Egypt. And Edfu has part of that not all but it has part of that um there was um so the question here grave robbing in in a sense in a sense uh yes it's it's more like temple robbing because they there weren't actually graves down there even though they called it a crypt um there weren't graves but they were you know certainly uh stealing things or i guess bidding against each other or buying blocks from from the temples and and uh you see that unfortunately a lot of archaeology like we had um a couple times we've had uh uh dr heather lynn on edge of the rabbit hole she, uh, she calls herself the renegade archaeologist but um yeah she's uh she's witnessed people you know, talking with them over, uh, you know, video chat where they have some of these, uh, a lot of her study is in like ancient Sumer and she's seen back behind them uh, on these different video calls, some of these like lost uh, texts and, uh, you know, in the cuneiform and all that, it's, it's right, it's right back there behind them that, you know, these are, these are lost secrets that, you know, we don't know of, They're, you know, they, um, you know, I mean, and we have a lot from ancient Sumer, but um, there are, are additional secrets and stories that have been lost to time or not necessarily lost, but taken and removed by others. And even, um, you know, like Iraq, when, um, you know, when, when we went storming in there 20 years ago now, almost, um, one of the places that was hit was the museum and it, the museum was robbed and the pieces that were, that were taken, even from the back room, uh, you know, pieces that weren't out on display, they knew exactly what to take. They, they knew exactly the pieces to take. So, um, all right. And then, you know, aren't they cursed? <laughs> are they? I mean, people do, be, you know, there are people that believe in the curses and all that. Um, but are they, are they really cursed? You know, we don't, a, a lot of people don't believe in the curses. they they believe that these pieces are going to give them power, uh, whether it's, um, power to gain more money, power to gain more power. I mean, that's that's really what it is. You know, rich, powerful people um, want more money and power uh, or long life, immortality, that 
sort of thing or to give them you know some other like kind of quote unquote magical powers to be able to control other people um you know and a lot of them you know we're, we're talking like you know that elite class that's out there that does control large numbers of people where they have you know brainwashed large segments of society you're going to get me going down the conspiracy theory route uh, they have uh, brainwashed large segments of society of society to basically do their bidding and do their will without even them knowing it um it's really kind of scary so, all right, that is going to finish it up for uh, part two on temples. Like I said, next week we're going to hit Edfu and Atlantis, and then we're going to get into um, other locations that aren't necessarily temples. Uh, we did talk a little bit about the Sphinx last week with the pyramids. We'll talk more about the Sphinx next week as well. And then some of these, um, you know, out-of-place artifacts, like we'll talk about the Schist disc, um, we'll get a little bit into, uh, uh, we mentioned Ben Ben Stone here a couple of times, but there's uh interesting depiction on one that I want to show you guys and uh, a lot of other different things. So, uh, be on the lookout for all of that. So appreciate it guys. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us this evening. And for those listening to the podcast later or the syndicated broadcast on KGRA radio, if you want to watch the entire presentation the you want to watch the videos you want to see the uh, photos that I'm showing come out to connect the I have the complete travel blog out there and even for you guys that are watching this live if you haven't watched all those videos yet on the travel blog I gave you a, a little sneak peek here a couple of those clips that are actually in the travel blog uh, go go check that out there's there's a lot of great stuff out there so everybody have a great night till next time <laughs>